This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to another podcast by the HISA team. Today, what we do is basically talk about markets, how markets have opened. We start from what happened last week as we proceed uh, to discussing uh, the daily, day-to-day running of the market. Today, we're going to talk about um, a few things. On the list, definitely, is news that has come in this morning. That's Safaricom, uh, Kenya's listed telecommunications company, uh, the largest um, biomarket capitalization on the Nairobi Securities Exchange has announced and declared that they will, uh, they, earlier on there was news definitely that Safcom was to join a consortium, uh, a consortium so that they would bid for license in Ethiopia. Uh, today they have given us a little bit of an overview of that and we are going to be able to discuss that as well on this show. Another thing that we'll be talking about which has been on investors uh, and concern for investors over the weekend has been uh, definitely Earth River Mining Company, that's ARM Cement, a company that um, a lot of investors had hopes on. And we know that a few things came in here and there about um, Earth River Mining Company, uh, mostly with the company being put under administration. And finally, um, just on, the, on what next for investors, basically, uh, that's something we'll definitely be able to touch on. Also in the news this morning is one of um, one of the largest advisory companies that's uh, Lesson Group is actually planning to list on the NSE. I believe um, Lesson will be an interesting company to look into. There are few companies that we've always had um, a discussion over, and I know that uh, we'll be uh, discussing on that. But before I proceed, let me introduce let me let my colleague introduce himself, and he'll be able to we can be able to pick up from there. Hi, good morning everyone. My name is Davis Dadinji and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Looking forward to discussing markets. Yeah. Awesome, Davis. Um, maybe let's just kickstart from where we left last week. Um, looking just the usual things that we look into, uh, the usual markets, market data that we have. Mm. Last week we saw uh, the NSE really close on a positive um, territory. We saw the equity turnover um, increase by about um, 2.9% to about 2.4 billion from 2.3 billion. Uh, on the other side, we saw the index data. We saw the all share index, that's NASI, uh, rise by about 0.32. We saw the NSE 20 share index, which is one of the major indices, um, gain just by about 0.28. Uh, and also we saw the 25 share index gain marginally very small by just about 0.004. Uh, what would be your take on this? Uh, do you think that there's something that investors are supposed to look up to as we wait for the next few days or what's what's generally your take, Davis? Um, seeing mostly it was being driven by large caps uh, such as Equity, Safaricom. Of course, Bamburi was among the driving factors in that uh, they announced really good results or relatively good results considering how the overall... Um, cement market is doing as was discussed last week so going forward i'd expect the market to uh, pull back a bit considering for example today we have closure for kcb KCB, so likely there'll be a sell-off after um but also on in light of the news of safaricom there may be a mini rally as people accommodate that information into the share price though a lot of it would be speculation because the conclusion hasn't um, 
what hasn't come to fruition. Like we haven't seen whether they'll be given the license and the like. They're still in the bidding stage. So yeah, we're yet to see uh, the impact of that. But I'm glad the market is picking up our pace. All right. Um, something really interesting to look into. Uh, you've talked about KCB. KCB is closing their books today. What would be your overall take, just an overview of where you see KCB at in the next few days, possibly, Davis? Well, in the next few days, uh, the, well, the company, then of course, be a sell-off, a slight one, I wouldn't say a, a real major one, but the long-term prospects are still good. I wouldn't expect uh, what a lot of people to be, or the, I, I think a lot of shareholders are long-term shareholders. So it's not that, uh, they're, they're chasing dividends and the like. In fact, dividend chasers tend to be quite few uh, with regard to majority of stocks in the overall market. So I do believe that, yes, there'll be a pullback tomorrow, but that current trend will continue. And I expect the banking sector overall to recover quite tremendously. As we're seeing, NPLs are not that high. Banks were adequately provisioned. Actually, when they reduce their loan-loss provisions, as we've seen in the states, banks such as JP Morgan and the like, earnings were boosted quite significantly, and that is likely to happen in our markets going forward, considering that the impact of non-performing loans is not that significant, considering that a lot of these loans were restructured and are continuing to be paid. So yeah, good prospects going forward. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few years it goes back to 50, even though we have uh, election risk, political risk next year as a country. Something very interesting, as we're looking on the elections bit, Davis, we're seeing a few companies, mostly those are those that are government-owned, really take a hit uh, when we're now just generally overlooking on, on this risk. What, what would be your take? Do you think that uh, we should expect uh, a, a, a continuous downfall for these companies, uh, so to speak, in terms of share price, uh, um, in share price activity? Yeah. Or do you think that um, this is just something temporary? Because we know what's really happening at most of the time when we have a challenge with uh, with government securities, with with government companies that are listed on the exchange, we always see investors here and there um, try to salvage technically what they have at every time. Mostly when we when we're going towards the ne- the election period. Um, do you think that we should expect more um, a continuous um, valuation? of these companies, or what, what generally is your take when you're looking on government companies that are listed on the exchange? Well, it, it depends on the particular company. Unfortunately, a lot of government, government-backed companies perform really poorly. They're susceptible to a lot of mismanagement, and that plays out in the share price. A lot of these companies have really lost over 50% of value for years and years on end. In fact, it's become such that investors are cautious when they view companies that government has a large stake in them. You can look at companies like Kenjin and KPLC. Of course, KPLC entered into losses because a lot of decisions being made are not made necessarily economically or to the benefit of the company or the shareholders, but rather politically, in a sense. So, and then KPLC, of course, will drag down Kenjin, which the government is also another, another large shareholder in that same company. Uh, we have companies like Portland Cement, is it yeah, yeah Portland Cement, which is struggling? Uh, it really is hard to invest in government companies. I think the only good one that I see is Kenya Re. But again, oh, in Safaricom, of course, even though uh, there the government isn't a majority shareholder per se, like they don't have excess of 50%. Otherwise, 
Yeah, it's just really unfortunate that people have to take into account government risk when investing into a company. You know, like the government should actually be a source of encouragement for investors to invest more, seeing that their own government is invested. But now in our market, it's the opposite. You're averse towards such companies. So the trends may continue going forward. You've, you, you've mentioned something about um, Kenya Reinsurance Company. Uh, that's uh, Kenya Re. Mm. The insurance sector in the country, and most of these insurance companies have not really performed as per investor expectations. We only have very few uh, companies that are listed on the exchange really do, uh, really give guys a little bit of what we can say that it's an ample return. What do you think? Do you believe that Kenya Re is a company to look into now that you've mentioned it? Uh, I honestly do believe so. I was actually seeing an, a certain analysis recently, which was really well done. Um, I'd say insurance companies will recover quite significantly going forward. Uh, they have benefited a lot owing to the fact that uh, with regard to their life insurance, um, so medical and the like, there have been few claims over the past year because people are mostly at home, there are less hospital visits, so they had that income boost, but still their combined ratios were really low. So combined ratio is when you add the expense ratio, which is the expenses that the company has plus the loss ratio, so how much that they're losing um, or paying out with regard to premiums. So yeah. Very interesting data, Davis, and thanks a lot for sharing. Yeah, but I, actually, Kenya read the reason I'm so interested in it is because it has such low combined ratios. Like in the industry, it's among the lowest. So you can see the efficiency because, as we've mentioned here before, insurance companies do not make money from underwriting. Like the underwriting is really low, you know. So a lot of their ratios are extremely high. But with regard to Kenya read they're actually low. And going forward, assuming the securities market, which brings in a lot of investment income for these companies, recovers going forward. So the overall NSE market recovers, they will prosper a lot because their investment income will go up quite significantly, which will benefit shareholders. All right. Um, that's a very interesting data point, Davis, even as we go through and start looking on to uh, the companies that are listed on the market. Uh, this morning, we've just read on the news that Safaricom has declared that um, has given more data about the consortium that they had uh, that they've been working on so as to bid for the license in Ethiopia. Um, we saw last year, uh, early this year actually, where there was actually news that Safaricom would bid for license in Ethiopia. And also at the same time, later on in the year, I think around two months ago, where um, Ethiopia Communications Authority actually said that they were yet to receive any bid from any company for the license in Ethiopia. Uh, if you just explain to guys what is the what is the opportunity uh, or what is the possibility that really lies in Ethiopia and what would be the advantage to Safaricom to shareholders if if, if this company would would move into Ethiopia uh, that's something that I know most of us have really been wondering I personally have been trying to see uh, the the sides uh, the two sides of the coin mm -hmm. considering that at times um, later I think, uh, about a month ago where Peter Ndego actually said that Safaricom CEO said that um, Safaricom as a company, it's the investment in Ethiopia, whatever they're doing, is a high risk, high return. If you just give guys what would be the two sides of the coin, um, do you think that it's something viable to shareholders and would you recommend that guys continue holding on Safaricom as a company? Uh, okay, well, first, this is not investment advice as usual. These are merely opinions of us. <laughs> exactly. So, for those who don't have the background, essentially, 
uh, Ethiopia is to award two full service mobile te- telecommunication licenses. So the licenses are to cover the telecom side of the business, not actual mobile money. Uh, so, you know, no MPSA and the like expanding that. So Safaricom and a certain consortium, which consisted of Vodacom, Vodafone, etc., bid for these licenses that Ethiopia had put out. Okay. Now, the Ethiopian market is a large market. They have roughly 100 million people, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be good uh, as far as expansion is concerned for Safaricom. Um, but again, it's high risk, high reward. Remember, they're only doing the telecommunications arm of the business. They're not actually doing mobile money and the like. I would expect this announcement to actually drive the share price up slightly, even though it's just at the bidding stage. So maybe investors taking that into account and making more considerations going forward. As pertains to the actual investment, they've suggested that they'll do a special purpose vehicle. So a special purpose vehicle is essentially a subsidiary to the parent company that isolates the parent company from financial risks. And it's so, you know, a subsidiary which is kind of, which has its own balance sheet and the like. So it's kind of buffers um, the parent company from losses and such things, which is a good thing. I would say we're yet to see the outcome of this thing, but I think it's a really good uh, move by Safaricom. Um, I would expect earnings, of course, to go up in the short to medium term. So the entity that would be created would, of course, repatriate or move profits back to the parent company. We should see Safaricom profit from the venture. And yeah, overall shareholders would be the ones who profit from that. And it's good expansion-wise because it feels almost like Safaricom has matured as a company. It's almost like it's gotten to the end of its growth as far as Kenya is concerned. In fact, now they're looking for ways to cut down the growth. Um, that, that's with regard to what entities that are saying that Safaricom should be split up or at least Mpesa and SAF uh, from the telecommunications business uh, and the like. So it's, it's good prospects and it's good that Vodafone is allowing Safaricom to expand because a large reason why <laughs> Safaricom doesn't expand into Africa overall is because Vodafone is already expanding into these other regions, into these <laughs> other areas. Yeah, and also just to inform guys, I'm just trying to check on data um, and I'm checking data through the HISA app. Uh, once again, you can always be able to get live data for markets by downloading HISA app on your mobile phone. Uh, checking on his, I'm seeing Safaricom has traded has gone down actually dipped about 0.77 uh, percent in share price. Uh, we we are seeing uh, Safcom only 100 shares moved though, so that's basically something very small to worry about. Yeah, it doesn't even begin really. Yeah, that is still not yet. Safcom uh, standard volume for Safcom daily would be around five million shares, uh, and we are just looking at this. We're seeing bidding is from about uh, let me just check on that once again i'm seeing bids for the market uh, coming at around uh, 904,000 on supply and about 703,000 on demand so that's something that we're really looking into and we're hoping that things will come out um handy within the day yeah yeah so i think that's something that guys are really looking up to davis last week we saw safcom close uh, a little bit on, on on the edge uh, for those who didn't get data for last week Safcom gained just about 1% during the week from 38 shillings and 40 cents where it was trading at on the previous week. And last week, as at Friday, Safcom was trading at 38 shillings and 80 cents. 
So today, right now, it's just dropped about 30 cents below. So it's trading at 38 shillings and 50 cents. But let's see, we'll really be hoping to look at this data and follow up just what's happening over the next um, over the next few, probably one or two days to see how investors are really going to uh, take on to this. Actually, the market. if it gets the license to, to blast through 40. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, but now also looking at it from the other coin, Davis. Mm. If Safaricom is not granted a license in Ethiopia, mm. <laughs> I think that's one thing. Maybe we need to just have a sit down and discuss on it another day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, away from the telecommunications company and back now to to to, to the local market. Um, I know there's been some very bad news over the weekend. Um, we saw uh, news about um. One company that investors, mostly retail investors, really, really loved. We're talking about Athi River Mining Company, Athi River Mining, Cement Mining Company, ARM. Uh, ARM, uh, for those of you who are wondering, ARM was put into uh, administration, under administration, um, a few, about in 2019? 2018, actually. In 2018, actually. So, and then there's really been hope for investors that we would see ARM get back to the market. But then over the weekend, we saw the the administrator say that ARM, where it's now standing at, it's beyond uh, salvation. And they thought like, now it's time for to just call it quits. I am I'm worried uh, for investors who bought shares in ARM, mostly those who bought in in large. Uh, I don't know uh, about you, Davis. Maybe you can just give guys an overview of ARM and then we can proceed from there. Yeah, it is It is really, really a sad, sad story. So, ARM was doing really well. Um, the share price was at a high of 90, actually, in the year 2014. The company was doing extremely well. The problem was that they engaged in a, in a lot of debt fuel expansion. Their debts were extremely high, and they made a lot of miscalculations, especially with regard to Tanzania. Tanzania. Yeah, which was just, just really unfortunate. So... The company owed creditors a lot of money and seeing data here, amazing data from Mango Capital, actually. So, okay, for investors, first of all, you must understand the capital structure of a business. So, there is debt and there is equity. Okay, well, as you, you as a shareholder or as a common shareholder, you have equity. Debt has different structures. So, there could be senior debt, there could be junior debt, there could be mezzanine, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then this debt, how it's differentiated is that something like senior debt is usually secured. So there are assets that are backing this debt. Okay, junior debts, maybe not. And then now uh, the next schedule of, of all that capital structure is preference shares and then common shares. Okay, so you as a common shareholder, you are at the bottom of the food chain in a matter of speaking. If a company were to go bankrupt, um, as ARM has, first of all, precedence would be given to secured lenders, those who had uh, senior debt, those who whose debt was backed by assets. Actually, I'm seeing that um, secured creditors are estimated to recover 34 to 70% of the money that they had lent out. So, for example, they'll make, out of every dollar, they'll make 34 to 70 cents. So even them, they're taking a loss while unsecured creditors will recover between 1.8 and 6.5 of the company's assets. So in this case, ARM is being liquidated completely. You get now their debts exceed their asset base. So this means that 
it's almost a first come first serve so those who have highest priority which are the banks that give it uh, lending and the like they will get paid they'll get paid between 34 and 70 percent unsecured lenders between 1.8 and 6.5 percent so these guys are taking a loss of like 90 percent and those are lenders for common shareholders whatever remains is supposed to go to you Unfortunately, in this case, nothing is remaining. So effectively, if you're a shareholder in ARM, you've been wiped out. Like, you get no returns, you get no money. It's just like that. Unfortunately, these are the risks you have to take into consideration um, when investing in a company. And that, that's why I'd, I'd really caution people <laughs> when investing in some penny stocks. You know, these companies that earnings are negative and the like, and they have huge amounts of debt in the balance sheet, are trading at negative working capital, Literally, if that bank were to, or that company were to declare bankruptcy tomorrow, there'll be a run for its assets uh, by the different creditors and the like. The reason why some companies, this isn't happening, for example, KPLC, it's because KPLC, first of all, it's a state-backed entity such that the government is on backing a lot of these loans, a lot of these debts, so the government will be liable um, if worst comes to worst. Yeah, Something so, that's very interesting. Davis, I don't know what, what you think, but... I think this is really the time when we need to start discussing and we can create a special session just to talk about CMA's investor protection and investor compensation funds. So I think maybe we can have a look at, at ICF and, 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 um, and IPF uh, by the CMA. Maybe we can also have somebody from CMA just break this down to investors so that guys can be able to really understand what really happens at a point when we see downfalls for companies. Cause I know the largest thing and it's 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 this is very hurtful guys but you you just now need to take it in that if you invested in arm um and i know what really happens is the compensation funds really give guys a small amount of money mm. uh, i think it's fifty thousand uh or less whichever is higher so uh, whichever whichever is lower so if 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 you if you invested five million and you're being given fifty thousand, yeah, that's like a hit of ninety nine percent. Come or on, Where? I think that's something very small. But that is that is unconfirmed, guys. We will do a little bit of an in depth analysis, and we can also be able to reach out to a few guys at the Capital Markets Authority um, to just give us an overview of what investors should expect when companies like this really take a hit. But also, guys, you need to understand first of all before you buy any company guys really need to understand what it means to be a shareholder of a company. At any point when you're a shareholder, yes, you're a shareholder to the firm, but the liabilities of the company will directly um, affect you one way or the other. So when the company doesn't have means to pay you, uh, it's, it's basically there's nothing you're going to get from it. So I think that's one thing that investors need to understand even as we move in um, uh, into trading on the market. And also, once again, just checking on markets, as, as we usually discuss on Markets Monday, is Bambori continues to gain Davis. Um, I know you talked about the cement industry earlier on. You mentioned something about it. Bambori continues to gain. We are seeing Bambori is already up at 3.4%. Um, I don't know what's, your, what, what's really your take. I know you've, you've really done a little bit of, a, of, an, of an industry analysis. Uh, of, or you've, you've done a little bit of an overview. You've just had an overview, yes? And you read the analysis. And last week when we had Moses uh, go through the cement industry, uh, his cover, what, what, what really do you take of Bamburi? Um, well, if I'm being honest, I actually thought Bamburi has great pos- prospects of recovery prior to that to that conversation with Moses. Because I, th- I thought the, the new product that they're bringing in, that fungi that does 22.5, um, 
would be quote unquote a game changer because it's reaching the lower segments of the market. That's why it's been losing out on market share because Bamburi does premium products, yes, uh, but it's really expensive. You The price points for a bag of cement is between 600 and 700. While other companies you're getting at 500, possibly for 80 and the like. So they've been losing out on market share. Um, in line with that, National Cement, which has taken up a large part of ARM's, uh, what is it called? Assets. Assets has actually surpassed Bamburi as as uh, as as far as the latest data I've seen goes. So let me just have a look. So but then I, I think maybe the NSC um, should put incentives so that companies that are performing like National Cement can actually uh, be listed on the market. I know those are things that investors would really, really want to trade on. Yeah, but yeah. Um, let's see. So as far as I'm seeing, this is for the past few years. Um, ARM's share price was at around 17.2 in 2011. That dropped to 9.8 in 2018. And now the share price, of course, it's been wiped out of the market, so it's non-existent. National Cement's uh, share of the market has actually been increasing from 2011 to around 6%. But now, as per 2020, it's around 31%. So it's almost as if it's become the dominant player within the market because of that taking over of ARM's assets and then you know, taking up more market share from Bamburi and the other players within the market. Uh, going forward, after listening to Moses' insights, uh, I wouldn't say the prospects for this company are really good unless they get more and more support from the parent company. So, for example, right now we know what's happening is that we have oversupply in the market, there's a lot of glut uh, therein, there are also price wars that are uh, cutting down margins and the like which will continue for the long term going forward. And whoever is highly capitalized, whoever has a lot of money to, you know, play it out, uh, will be all the better for it, will take up more market share. So going forward, we're yet to know whether Bamburi actually has a stake or is profiting from this, uh, this nini. That's, that's, that, that, I want to say bridge. That road from, <laughs> from JKIA. The, uh, the Nairobi Expressway. Yeah, so, one thing you must know if you're a Bamburi shareholder, this is almost the best that the company will or has performed. Remember, the cement product, cement market is doing really well, extremely, extremely, extremely well. Uh, last year, it was the highest it's ever been for so many years. And the most that Bamburi is doing is a billion. Okay. So even though in Q1 or H1, the things were suppressed because of the lockdown, still the company is, the company is supposed to do much, much better. It doesn't seem that it will recover to its former glories. So, yes, you can enjoy the the dividend for now, the share price appreciation, but the future prospects, unless things drastically change, uh, as pertains to the management and the like, uh, things don't seem all that bright. And there's a good discussion on that. You, we can you can find it on the Telegram group. All right. Yeah. Um, something very interesting, Davis. You've mentioned about Bamburi and and. So basically, guys, for those of you who are wondering, is we talked about ARM, we've talked about Bamburi. What are the prospects for Bamburi that is now the only cement company that is listed on the exchange? Oh, no, EFPC. Oh, oh no, sorry, guys, sorry, guys, sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, but Portland, Portland, been... Portland Cement. I totally forgot about Portland Cement. It's been struggling. But Portland, honestly, it's struggling. I think um, maybe Portland should should be trading. Portland will could actually get to levels of where we are seeing 
um, companies like maybe Kenjin or Uchumi trading at, but that doesn't mean that Kenjin is not a good company to select. And also, we're not saying that Portland is a bad company to invest in. Remember, whatever we say on this show is purely for... Um, this is basically just a talk. You need to do your investment um, analysis before you make any purchase on the market. Yeah, Portland is, is really suffering. Actually, see, they're trying to sell some parcels of land, yeah, which, parcels is a good, of land. which is a good show why you don't value a company based on the assets it has on its books. Because essentially, those assets are at fair value um, and they'll only do well as the company is doing well. So, for <laughs> example, the assets that Portland Cement was carrying at its books was like pieces of land, thousands of acres, these things, the value is around 13 million. If you look at the pricing of all things around it, it was forced to take a hit such that each acre of land is being sold at 3 million because they're doing a distressed asset sale so that they can clear their debts uh, with KCP. It's just so, so unfortunate. The, the amount of money that they're losing out on and they're just trying to recover, you know, to sell this land, to recover. I think Uchumi was also trying to do the same. Yeah, it really is unfortunate. It doesn't look the future doesn't look bright in a sense. So uh, a few very a few companies uh, of late. Whenever we're talking about Uchumi, we know that we're looking at the race to zero. Um, <laughs> I usually term Uchumi personally as the race to zero, and we're seeing though we still see very huge volumes trading on Uchumi. Uh, if Uchumi was trading, I think at a at, at a higher price, um, where it's trading at, it would actually be one of the movers day to day on the exchange. Looking at Uchumi today, uh, checking again through the Hisa app is uh, Uchumi is Uchumi has been moving uh, earlier on. Uchumi had gained uh, slightly. Uh, we saw Uchumi had gained and then it dropped and now it's back again, four point one seven percent. I'm seeing there's a, a bid of about uh, four hundred forty-two thousand at zero point two four. That's twenty-four cents. And offers on the supply side, we are seeing supply of about one hundred ninety-one thousand at um uh, at uh, 0.25 and also there's 1.137 million shares of uchumi being offered at a price of about uh at a price of about 26 cents yeah. it would be interesting to just see on how uchumi would really perform any people have this much volume in uchumi you know they should <laughs> take a note from ARM. literally if this company declared bankruptcy tomorrow you could get wiped out completely all your money would go just like that because I don't think the government has a larger than, uh, what, 50% shareholding. They don't even have incentive at to and, and, bail out this company. And and then also just one thing that guys are really noticing. is I think guys who are buying Uchumi are purely doing it on speculation. <laughs> guys are hoping that, you know, uh, last time when we, were with, when we were with Davis and you can get this recording for the last show on, on the Hisa app or, um, or on the Investors Open Forum. We talked about, Davis, we talked about guys understanding what it what what it really means by shares trading at a, a considerable discount uchumi trading at 25 cents it might look cheap in terms of price but really it could actually be expensive if if it's if it's an investor who's looking onto it i don't know yeah. davis um maybe you can give investors a refresher on that yeah. for those who were not there last week you know cheap can be really expensive and so when we say like for when you hear your broker saying that this company is trading at a discount they mean at a discount to for example the free cash flows of the company okay so the amounts that shareholders are able to get um as far as the company's continuing business operations goes now 
Trading at a discount does not mean that this company is trading at one. That means that it's a valuable company. No, a company can be trading at a thousand and it's still trading at a discount to its intrinsic value. Like if you value all its assets, if you value all its free cash flows, you see that it's trading at a discount to um, its, its intrinsic value. So never buy a share because it's trading cheaply. This thing can go to zero. Literally. Yeah, and, and also looking at Portland Cement, which you mentioned earlier on, Portland is um, trading at eight shillings. There is no trade so far. Uh, supply is 86,300. So definitely that's one thing we're really looking into. It, it should actually go lower. I'm not saying it will, but it could go lower with all that supply. Uh, we talked about Bamburi earlier on. Um, weirdly enough, um, I know we had a positive vibe on Bamburi, but when we talk, when we're now looking on the share price activity, Bamburi has actually um, is actually trading. Supply is at forty, uh, supply is at forty-two, um, and demand is at forty. The total uh, demand is at thirty thousand. Total number of shares on demand, and on the other side, we're seeing the total supply of shares at um, one hundred and sixty thousand three hundred with a higher supply really between 44 and 42. Uh, I don't know, but looks like for today, we have suppliers really coming in onto the market. Possibly investors could be of the opinion that um, in terms of the, the day-to-day trading um, valuation, maybe Bamburi has already moved um, limits because last week we saw Bamburi emerge as one of the top gainers on the market, gaining about 6% um, week on week. Which is also another thing that maybe we could also start having discussions. Uh, when we talk about um, IPF and we get guys from the market, then Davis, it would be interesting just to ask guys: um, Will the NSC is the NSC planning to one day give a higher limit, uh, both on the on the on the ceiling and the floor, for the market source to allow for a little bit of fluctuations? Because if you're looking on week on week gainers on the market and you're seeing. Uchumi which, um, Uchumi, which is trading on higher volatility, gaining about 14%, and we're seeing solid companies um, on the market. If you, if you even check year-to-date, some, some of the companies that are usually considered as, as fundamentally stable companies haven't even had a move of over 10% on the market year-to-date. So I know that's one thing we can drive that conversation yeah, and um, I think they put that such that um, investors can investors can kind of slow down and think <laughs> before buying or selling certain security. In the US, I don't think that limit is there, but the thing is that when things get really overheated, they'll actually stop the market for 15 minutes or so, yeah. so that people can reassess these decisions. Now, I guess our market does the, they preempt these, these types of things, so they only allow it to move up or down 10% unless there's material information, of course. Yeah, and also I know the NSC only has a circuit breaker for the down for the downside. Uh, when you're talking about the index, where the market will be halted from trading, I think when we go down about five percent or ten percent. Not sure about that, guys. You need to confirm that. And then um, on the upside, the the market can gain as far as it can the <laughs> index. So I think that's one thing as well we need to look at. Why do we stop it on the downside and then on the upside? But still, it's also you good. Don't get to get <laughs> guys, guys can be able to get as much money as they want within within a certain um, certain within within a very short time as well. Something that I know most investors um, usually look into. Uh, Davis, I know finally we, we're running out of time for today's uh, discussion, but one thing that I know guys are really looking into, and even as we move into uh, the trading week, is the banking sector. 
uh, we know equity group has uh, technically uh, sorry guys um yes we'll we'll move in there's one thing that i'm being reminded of we were to discuss about liaison group we are going to talk about um, equity group as a company just on the overall banking sector before we move out of the NSE uh, for, 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 for the day. Um, equity group we know has been trading fairly at within the same prices. Uh, NCBA uh, and KCB Davis, I know those are some of the companies that investors are really looking into. What, what would be your take on the overall performance of the banking sector this week? Um, I wouldn't expect, I, I think banking stocks are likely to tra- trade uh, what, on a sideways for a while until we, we see what the effects of, I mean, yeah, the recovery efforts going forward. Uh, I'm, I'd be really bullish on the ba- on the banking sector. And then the banking sector, of course, is like, it, it's the driver of the entirety of the market. So the more it recovers, and I, again, I see it recovering because non-performing loans for the whole industry are only at around 15%. Banks were provisioning for almost three times what's the idea. Yeah, they were increasing the provisions around 300, 400%. They're adequately what, capitalized for any form of issues that are likely to happen going forward. The banking sector will really recover, you get. Going forward, uh, for those who may not understand banking stocks, so banks are supposed to make provisions uh, based on internal modeling of risk and the like to estimate how many, how much losses that they can make. See, remember how banks make income is through interest income. So uh, let's say they get, uh, what? People place money into the banks through deposits and the bank is forced to, okay, not forced, but yeah, the <laughs> bank has to pay uh, interest to these deposits. Let's say the deposits are around 4%. I know they're really low right now. And then now the bank loans out this money at let's say 10%. So that 4% spread is where they're making their money. Uh, and you know other non-funded income, so that non, that four percent is actually a lot, uh, and they have to make provisions for the losses that are likely to occur going forward, uh, based on estimates, based on the industry, based on the economy, and the like. These loan loss provisions can move up or down, so they move significantly up in light of the COVID pandemic. People are expecting businesses to collapse. Many, unfortunately, have, but it's not as bad as people preempted at the beginning. So going forward, the entirety of the banking sector will reduce the loan loss provisions, which will serve to increase uh, net income quite significantly. And of course, on the back of this, companies that didn't announce dividends are likely to announce huge dividends. Banking sector payout ratios are extremely high and shareholders, or at least the market, is likely to react well to such information, even though there's political risk going forward. So taking all these factors into account, I'd say in the medium term, banking stocks will do extremely well. In the short term, of course, we never know. Or uh, unless, you know, we look at technical analysis and the like. But th- these companies will recover really well <clears throat> going forward. I'd expect full year 21 and full year 22 to be extremely well. Uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, taking all these things into account. I wish I wish investors would be as bullish as, um, as Davis usually is at any point when we're talking about the market. <laughs> Something that I know we'll really be looking into. Uh, last week, Davis, foreign investors took um, a little bit of, an, uh, generally as usual, foreign investors are always um, selling. They're always selling. <laughs> I think, should it be a point of concern for investors or 
or, or you really think but davis also last week i think uh, foreigners assumed a net selling a net buying position actually um on a few on most of our blue chip counters like an example is safaricom where where as usual um they took a net buying position accounting for about um 73.5% of, of the total um uh, of the total purchases and also again on the sell side it was still foreigners about 91% Total market participation, foreigners took about 57.8% as local investors uh, took about 42.2% of the market activity. I don't know what what would be your take on that. Um, any concerns with the foreigners? I've always had a concern with foreigners controlling a lot of activity, being the market um, dominant investors on the market. Yeah, but around, you know, mm-hmm. such a low percentage of our country actually invest and then foreigners have a lot of liquidity. <laughs> There's a lot of factors that's going to play. I've, I've seen in Q1 as per the NSE report that foreigners have, of course, assumed a net selling position, which is is daunting in a sense. You'd expect that foreign inflows would actually go up as economies are recovering and the like. And then when you take into consideration Biden's tax plan, going forward, though I yet to see um, the effects of that, what it's supposed to be, I would expect more inflows to come from foreigners into our local markets. Though, again, there's a lot of uncertainty until we see what the actual, actual implications of these uh, taxes are. <laughs> yeah, if I would say like that. Yeah. Still wondering why they're leaving. How much because of the overall economy? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe what the main thing that we've really had over time is that most of our most most of the foreign investors who are coming into the market usually have a slight concern as we approach the election period and we also know that we've really had a lot of political uncertainties within the country there's been a lot of there's been a very high political heat um on 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 within the country and i know that would be a major concern for foreign investors but um, and also with the referendum that's coming up, guys, you we need to really be prepared for uh, for for what's really going to happen on the market. Uh, not really in the country. Let's hope, the country definitely. We're really hoping for good stuff. But on the market, you really need to be concerned because we have two things that are coming in. We possibly have a referendum that's coming up in the country, and we also have uh, the general elections, which uh, will will most uh, will will hopefully coming is it in 2022 august yeah yeah, yeah so so we really have a political session gearing up yeah and it's interesting on a historical basis toward the run-up or the year toward the election stocks really do rally uh significantly <laughs> before whatever happens in the election happens and then now yeah we return to a bear market for some for some reason it would be interesting to see if that happens again uh this coming year all right, um, Davis. Away, away from that. Away from the politics. Away from, uh, from the listed stocks on the NSE. Let's now have a little bit of a look on the unlisted stocks, unlisted companies on the exchange. Uh, today, there's news that um, Liaison Group uh, is is targeting to list uh, on on the NSE. I know we've had a few of these. Um, we've had a, a lot of discussions about which companies. There are a lot of guys who are always saying that they want to list on the exchange but very few of them would end up really coming into list. Uh, at the same time, as we talk about Liaison, I would also want to just tell guys that um, Optiven Group, which I think is a real estate company, is planning to list on, is planning to join the Booker program of the exchange on Thursday this week, that should be on 29th. Definitely something that we'd look up to. I think Optiven, the books, uh, 
uh, a slightly a fairly stable a fairly good but we'd really want to we'd want to understand the entire you might want to understand the entire real estate sector before you 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 jump into that if they get to complete the booker program and finally list on the exchange but davis start off with with with, with liason liason <laughs> that one <laughs> tomato tomato yeah. uh so i'm seeing that it's first of all unlike recent uh, listings which are listing by introduction or direct listings so these companies weren't actually listing to raise funds this one is actually looking to raise funds so we're going to see the power of the market we're going to see if the nsc is actually a good method of uh raising funds because we haven't seen that a lot in recent years but earlier of course you know in the 2000s companies would list they would actually list and get money in excess of their targets uh so i'm seeing that the company is looking to raise funds for ex- africa expansion it's currently operates in five countries that's tz uganda rwanda and uh, south, south sudan. sudan so around 60% of its business is in risk advisory uh, both in general and healthcare so it targets mostly corporates and government parastatals they have to share the the what is it called uh not moratorium okay. <laughs> Let <laughs> to share the prospectus. The yeah. prospectus. Yeah, for us to see. Hopefully that will come early on. For some weird reason, a lot of companies that list nowadays they give the prospectus late. Late. Yeah. <laughs> so so sort of like investors are not given time <laughs> to really do an analysis. And uh, an example is um, some of the companies that have notably issued their prospectus late would be Homeboys, which gave their prospectus I think on the very same day that they were listing mm, on yeah. the exchange. But I know we've had a lot of discussions about Tombo. It's something that we wouldn't want to touch on to today. Yeah, so at least we have Liason and also that other company, that, the Danish hair company, Africa Hair PLC. So, yeah. well, and both <laughs> of them actually doing IPOs. They're looking to raise equity for expansion. Uh, so really long, longing to look at their financials to see if their earnings are sustainable going forward or, hey, God forbid, we're getting another... <laughs> more empty entities in a sense <laughs> yeah because i'm seeing i'm seeing um all the two companies that you've mentioned that's um liaison group and also um african hair all of them actually want to list on on the growth and enterprise market segment that's the gem segment which i know we've had a few issues with the past listings on the gem segment haven't really come out as productive as investors would really have looked into maybe the companies and guys just to tell you guys is maybe the companies would want to list on the market but uh the challenges the companies that have listed on that segment would really uh go through a lot of investors um stripped down when you're talking about analysis just so that guys can be able to understand before they buy into that company so if if Lesson is planning an IPO they need to give us the prospectus way early so that investors can make this decision because an IPO is not um it's it's not as simple as 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 um it's it's sort of simple as as was it the direct listing where they start selling their shares the yeah. ones that are there already on the market yeah and ipo they are basically asking you know what we have 10 million shares please buy them and like the ones these are very new shares um that are purely created for the purpose of raising funds for investors the direct listing the the shares the company already has them they're just giving it out to guys so even if you don't buy them uh that's that's very cool with them you don't buy them they will still continue holding the company uh until and we we're really hoping that um this comes through an ipo ipo usually gives us a good strategy because investors would really value a company before accepting a certain price and also buying them within a certain range 
Yeah, and then IPOs, IPOs tend to be quite expensive, actually. That's among the reasons why, for example, in the US, you see people using a lot of SPACs of late. It's quite a long process and it does a lot of um, issues therein, a lot of costs. And yeah, like, yeah. But thankfully for the NSE itself, if you're an investor now in NSE, the company, that, that helps, you know, more companies are listed, there's more income from uh, trading, there's income from IPOs and the like. So, yeah, uh, among things to take into consideration. All right. Um, I think that, that that would be it for us, guys. Um, stay safe, guys, and also always remember that you can be able to get all the data that we have um, looked at today through the HISA app. You can download. Um, we're going to have a special forum. Uh, my colleague who's not on the chat but is listening, um, Eric Jackson, as usual, is going to be able to put up a special discussion forum just so that we can discuss your thoughts on the cement industry, uh, what we've talked about today. And also, I will personally have a discussion, uh, Davis and myself, we will definitely be following up on Safaricom and KCB's performance throughout the week. So that's it for us, guys. Stay safe. Um, remember, there's COVID, so always stay safe and sanitize. Thank you all for attending today's chat. Uh, for those of you who are listening to us through Twitter Spaces, this was the first one. See you guys next week, and we hope that we'll be able to uh, you enjoyed the show. Uh, for those of you who are in the Investors Open Forum on Telegram, as usual, you're welcome. Um, and uh, those of you listening through the HISA app as well, after this recording will be shared, have a nice day. Bye-bye. <laughs>